Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about part four of my four-part series, some exposure and response prevention ideas, because you have to have a pretty creative hat in order to come up with some exposures. So I have to say this before we get started. This is part four of a four-part series. So if this is the first part you're listening to, no, you need to stop (laughs) because this is the end, not the beginning. You have to start with episode 51 because we're going to talk about in episode 51 what the core fear is. Episode 52, we have to talk about the uncertainty and doubt. And then in episode 53, I explain what ERP, exposure and response prevention, is and how it works and pitfalls that parents often have. And today is just a brainstorming session. So this is the very end. And I don't want any parent to listen to this who really hasn't gone through it all because you need to know what you're doing in order to do ERP. Now, having said that, this is not professional guidance. You should seek your own mental health support by getting the guidance of a mental health professional. This is just a brainstorming session. So if you don't know how to do ERP, we talked about this in episode 53, definitely seek out a therapist who specializes in OCD. You can find hopefully some people in your area if you go on the International OCD Foundation's website at iocdf.org backslash find dash help. If they specialize in OCD, A lot of OCD specialists go ahead and get listed there. And so it's at least a good place to start. If you want to read a good book about how to do ERP, I highly recommend John March's book, Talking Back to OCD. I think it's really, really great for kids. It's very helpful. It's a parent book to teach you step-by-step how to go through it. If you want a little bit more hand-holding than that, you can take my online class called Parenting Kids with OCD. It's super comprehensive. It's 39 videos. And so if you're a visual learner, that might be the better approach. I make these like really short five to 10 minute videos and I walk you all the way through fully understanding what OCD is to what ERP is to how to do exposure and response prevention at home. So if you want that kind of hand holding, there's like a zillion worksheets that go with it. And then you also get my support because you can leave comments as you go through the lessons and I reply right back. Or you can even email me if you're going through the class and I will give you some pointers that way too. So you get a lot of extra support. So today we are going to just talk about ideas. There have been lots of people who have taken my class and people who are in my private Facebook group and they say, could you do a podcast on just ERP ideas because I'm stumped. I really don't know what to do for this particular problem. And as therapists, we have this issue as well. You might be a therapist and say, I don't know how to help this patient. I don't know how to help this kid with this particular issue. So we are just going to go over different types of OCD themes, and I'm going to give you ideas of what to do in each one of them. And we'll touch on some ideas for some anxiety issues and how to do ERP for that as well. So 
Some of this, a lot of this may not be relevant to your child because we're going to just go through different themes. But I recommend if you have time, listen to the whole episode because you want to get the vibe, the gist of how ERP works and OCD morphs. So what you're dealing with today may not be what you're dealing with two months from now. And I find the more I listen to ERP exposure ideas, the more I get it in general. So it's going to be useful, even if we only touch on one issue that your child has. So let's get started. Maybe we'll do an OCD one, and then I'll try to do an anxiety one so we can change it up a little bit. So let's say your child has a contamination issue. So if you don't know the OCD themes that I break out, please stop and go and listen to episode 25 so you have an idea of what all the different OCD themes are, because we're going to go through them really quickly, and I'm not going to talk about what they are. We're going to just talk about different exposures that you can do with them. So in contamination OCD, a lot of kids' core fears revolve around getting sick, and a lot of times it has to do with bodily fluid or touching something that they consider toxic. And so you want to figure out what your child's core fear is. And so if it's germ-related, you want to find an exposure that is related to germs that provokes them. I did talk about in episode 53, when I walked you through an example of ERP, we talked about uh, using toilet water. So if your child has a lot of contamination issues that revolve around bodily fluid, you can use toilet water. And I talked about using a dropper last session and you can drop the toilet water. Um, a lot of times I, for an exposure to extend the exposure, will put it on a piece of cloth and then I'll have a child recontaminate their hands after they wash all the time, or I'll have them take the cloth and put it on different areas of their house, you know, whether it's like their pillow or their light switch or different areas that they touch. So they have ongoing exposures. So that's an option. If they have issues with the bathroom, sometimes we'll put drops of toilet water on their clothes. Sometimes I will even, and this is going to sound really gross, but you have to swing far into the gross section of the world in order to be effective. And so a lot of things that we do in ERP are above and beyond what the average person would do. And a lot of times people looking outside, looking in will say, that's disgusting. Like why on earth would I, I wouldn't want to do that. And I don't even have OCD, but what you have to understand is you have to swing far to the other side to kind of get back to the new normal. And so you have to poke pretty hard at OCD or anxiety. So you're going to do things that are going to be out of the comfort zone of even an average person who's not struggling with it. So I will sometimes take a diluted amount of pee and put it in a dropper and drop maybe a droplet on somebody's clothes and have them wear that. So you want to kind of experiment with bodily fluid. I feel like that one is a pretty easy one to come up with different ERP exposures. That's not as tricky. So let's move on and talk about some other ones as well. A lot of times people have issues with poison or toxic things. And so a really popular one I do in my office is I take a Clorox wipe and I will have people wipe their hands with a Clorox wipe and then eat a piece of gum from their hand 
or take the Clorox wipe and touch their face or touch the Clorox wipe and then rub their eyes. You really want to get to the core fear of your particular child or of your particular client if you're a therapist. And so it is different for each person. So what I normally do is I really pay attention and I listen to what their compulsions are about. And so I try to create, I like reverse engineer their compulsions, if that makes sense. So if they're doing something, I think about what the opposite of it would be. And then that becomes the exposure. So I'm going to give you a lot of generic examples, but that's really not going to be as effective as if you reverse engineer whatever compulsions they have. I'll give you an example. Um, I was talking to somebody and they had mentioned that they get really worried when they use paper plates. And when we went down the rabbit hole and talked about why it wasn't really the paper plate, which I was assuming it was the paper plate, something about the paper plate being toxic, but it was how the paper plate was stored. So it was stored in the garage in a plastic bin. So that was the core fear that it was out in the heat in a plastic bin and the plastic was actually the issue. So that was a very unique fear that you're not going to like run across. That's particular to that particular child. So to reverse engineer it, the exposure would be that we were going to get, we were going to purposely put plates in that plastic bin and then she would take one out and she would eat from that. So you can get very specific in your exposures based on your child's compulsions. And so you want to ask your child, what's the worst part about that? So when you have that paper plate, what's the, what's your O telling you about? Oh, well, my O says it was stored in a way that was scary. So don't take things on face value. Ask your child more details about why that is upsetting so that you can come up with an appropriate exposure. So in general, for um, fears of poison and toxicity, I'll use Clorox wipes. I will use um, touching food from the trash. We will write names of the diseases if they're worried about catching a disease. So it just depends on how intense their anxiety is and how intense their OCD is, where you want to start with very tiny baby steps. So if you have a child who has a pretty acute level of OCD, you're not going to want to necessarily start off with them actually doing something. You want to start off with a small, tiny step. So for instance, if you have a child who is afraid of getting cancer and maybe their ultimate fear is I'm going to avoid all things that are toxic or plastic because I don't want to get cancer and there's no way they're going to touch anything plastic or eat off anything plastic or touch a Clorox wipe. Let's say their OCD is very, very intense. Then you would start with maybe them just writing the word cancer. There are a lot of kids who can't even say a lot of the OCD triggers. And so they might have to write them out first. And so your fear hierarchy might just be, they write the word cancer or they just stare at the word cancer then they write it, then they say it, then they look pictures of people without hair. It will depend on what triggers them. You, in a perfect world, don't want to just come up with your own. You really want to tap into what is upsetting for your child. And so the brainstorming with your child is really key. 
So maybe you're doing all those small steps and then you build up to, okay, you're going to touch a plastic straw. And then maybe you're going to eat something off of a plastic plate. And then maybe you're going to sip some water out of a plastic straw, or you're going to take that Clorox wipe and rub it all over your hands and not wash. It will look different for each person. I feel like I'm saying that a lot, but I guess I'm stressing it because I don't want you to take these ideas and run with them without really personalizing them for your child. I just want to get those like creative juices flowing so that you're like, oh, I totally get the concept of this. So it's not just what they can do. It's pictures and stuff. Now, I always say you want to eventually move into them doing something. You don't want to just have them staring at pictures or writing words forever, you know, because let's say they're upset by certain words. You don't want to just stay at that. I feel like the experience, the experiential types of exposures are really important. So there are some kids who have an overall feeling of disgust. And so you might want to have them touch food from the trash or touch slimy, sticky things. Um, There are kids who worry about sweat. And so you can have them put their hands under their arms and then get some sweat on their hands and put it on their belongings. You can have kids who are worried about contamination. You can smash vitamins and make it into a powder and then put that powder residue all over their, their fingers. And then they have to touch things. It will be different depending on, I know I just said that (laughs) it'll be different depending on what your child is really upset about moving on to let's do an anxiety one. Uh, emetophobia is a very big topic. Lots of us have kids who have, um, who have kids who have emetophobia, a fear of throwing up and, Exposures can help. It really depends on your child with emetophobia. Partly, you want to find out what that core fear is. So back to episode 51, you want to figure out what's driving the emetophobia. Am I afraid that I'm going to lose control? Am I afraid that I'm going to choke? Am I afraid I'm going to dehydrate? Am I afraid that I'm going to be embarrassed? So even though you can have five kids with emetophobia, the core fear could be different depending on each kid. So I had a girl that had emetophobia and she was afraid of being embarrassed. And so we didn't target, her exposures weren't about staring at throw up. It was about doing embarrassing things in public and dealing with it. And so all of her exposures were, you know, telling people, telling her peers that she felt nauseous, going to the nurse, um, We had her do some embarrassing things in front of her peers, and she learned to not care what people thought. There was a lot of social anxiety wrapped into her emetophobia, and that was what was kind of driving it. And there was a lot of cognitive reframing. And that's the difference between anxiety and OCD is with anxiety, I do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. I do a lot of reframing of what's the worst that can happen if people see you throw up, you know, or if they're afraid of choking or dehydrating. We talk about the possibility of that happening when you're throwing up. When it's OCD related, we don't do that nearly as much. I do one or two sessions on psychoeducational information about what is typical versus the irrational thoughts of OCD. And then we move on because OCD is irrational and kids know that already. And if you're not sure what is anxiety and what is OCD, You can check out my YouTube video on that topic. I made a YouTube video, 
how to tell the difference between anxiety and OCD. And that's at youtube.com backslash C backslash anxious toddlers 78. So if you had a child who was afraid of throw up, now I've had lots of kids with OCD who are afraid of throw up. They're afraid of throwing up. They're afraid of seeing throw up. And some get so extreme that they're afraid to say the word throw up. And I've had kids who are afraid to wear colors that remind them of throw up or wear outfits where when they wore it, they saw somebody throw up. So for those kids, besides doing the cognitive restructuring and talking about addressing their fears and reframing their thoughts of what's the worst that can happen if you throw up, not that you're not going to throw up because that's reassurance, but yeah, you might, you know, once a year you might throw up and what's the worst that's going to happen if that happens. But then for the OCD in particular, but I think it would work for anxiety as well. I start off with a lot of kids just showing, well, I'll go back even further. There's some kids where I can't say the word throw up. So we'll say the word throw up. We'll write the word throw up. And then I will show them black and white images of throw up. I know that sounds gross, but it's actually really effective. And then I'll show them a colored picture of throw up. Now I'm not doing this in one session. This is over an extended period of time. There's people I work with where just saying the word throw up, that that goes on for a few weeks to a few months. There are other people who can move through this really quickly. And within a few weeks, they've gone through their whole challenge ladder, also known as a fear hierarchy. So maybe from the picture of throw up, then I show them a video I have on my iPad. Got a weird job. So on my iPad, I have like videos that I keep for ERP. And I have videos of people throwing up where you don't see the throw up. And then I have videos where you do see people throwing up. And I have pictures, still pictures of throw up. And I have still pictures of somebody throwing up because those are different for different people. There are different stress levels depending on the quality of the picture, depending on the graphicness of the picture. I have one YouTube video that is actually somebody actually looped. (laughs) They looped a guy throwing up. So it's an hour YouTube video of a guy throwing up. And he's probably throwing up for like, I don't know, like one minute, but it's looped over and over again. (laughs) So it's great. It's perfect for my office because I could just hit play and then it's just like over and over. So that would be your, your emetophobia type of exposure. Now, if you continue to push forward with that, you could, um, there are recipes for throw up online. If you just type in emetophobia, you'll, there is like, I'll have to look up the website, but there's a website that has, hold on a second. I'll get you the address on that one. There is a website called emetophobiahelp.org. And I love this website because she actually has some resources and on her website in the resource section, she does have like different gradual exposure pages And that way you don't really have to go looking for this stuff. She's got sounds. I buy sounds on YouTube, not YouTube. I buy sounds on iTunes and I keep them on my phone for uh, kids that come in who have emetophobia and will listen to the sound of throwing up as another exposure. And she also has recipes of throw up that like making throw up. So sometimes I will do a visual where I will make a recipe that looks like throw up because we got a cat. So I got cat food and I'll mix it with a bunch of stuff and I'll have a child just look at it and, but it doesn't smell like throw up. 
And she also has recipes of actual, like a recipe that will make it smell like throw up. Now that's not pleasant for anybody, but we want people to learn how to habituate to it, that it's not going to dominate their life. So those are some ideas for the fear of throwing up. We're just going to touch on everything rather briefly. So moving on up next, I'm going to go into some other OCD themes. We're going to talk about harm OCD and moral OCD, and also what to do when your child has what some people call pure O, how to handle just intrusive thoughts and images. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Welcome back. So with harm OCD, kids are worried about either harming themselves, even though they don't want to, or harming other people, either unintentionally or intentionally. So harm OCD can look really different depending on your child because it can go in many different directions. So you want to tap into what your child is worried about. A lot of times with kids, they will confess or ask for reassurance depending on their harm theme. So a lot of times kids are worried that they might harm themselves And if you have a therapist to help guide you, you could have a child do some things that kind of trigger the harm OCD. So if they're worried they're going to hurt other people, you can leave. You can have them leave objects purposely on the floor where they might actually trip somebody, but not really because OCD is irrational. So OCD will make them think they're going to trip somebody even if they leave like a little shoe out or something really small. It's all about the idea and really not about the actual action. So I sometimes have kids touch the toilet seat and then shake hands with people or touch a bunch of doorknobs all around. <laughs> You're like, that's horrible. It, it really isn't. It's important. Trust me. You don't want to know. There's plenty of things on doorknobs already, but we want to, to teach kids to get over their OCD by doing things that really, really go against whatever their compulsions are. So I will have kids spit on their hands and then touch lots of things around them, uh, put their hands in curdled milk, and then touch things. Those are all ways to kind of provoke the harm OCD. I will have kids go around and plug in lots of things before they leave the house on purpose, uh, leave a light on, because a lot of times with harm OCD, they're afraid they're going to cause a fire. So kids might have their own compulsions that are nonsensical. Um, I've had kids where they were worried about having their clothes together. You know, I had one person where if their clothes touched like on the floor, they thought for some reason that would cause a fire. So for that, that child, the exposure would be to take all their clothes and put them together. So for another kid, that wouldn't be anything. That would be weird. It would be like, what's the point? But for that particular child, because of the reverse engineering of their compulsion, that would be the opposite of their compulsion, if that makes sense. Moral OCD tends to be tricky, also known as scrupulosity OCD or religious scrupulosity OCD. That is really tricky because you have to be pretty creative with this one. So those kids are afraid that they're bad people. So they think that if they have a bad thought, it means that they're a bad person. 
there's a fusion between what I think and who I am, and there's no separation. So for those kids with cognitive behavioral therapy, we teach a thought is just a thought and OCD will make you have these taboo thoughts and it'll typically be the opposite of who you really are. But we want to also poke at that. So sometimes I'll have kids write fictitious stories about something horrible that they are or that they did, because that's kind of what their compulsion is about. And that is what the intrusive thoughts are about. So you can have them write little stories like, um, you know, I drank all this beer. It depends on their age and what their OCD theme is, what their moral OCD theme is. But you find out whatever they're confessing to you or checking with you, and that's what you write. And unfortunately, a lot of times the moral OCD stuff tends to be taboo stuff. So with kids, it tends to be drugs and alcohol, lying. And then if they are over 12 or 12 and older, it tends to be sexual and really disturbing sexual stuff. Like I want to have sex with my teacher. I'm looking at you, mom. I'm looking at the dog. Like it will find the most taboo thing. And then it will make them think that that's their own true thought. So you want them to be able to look at things without having their anxiety or their OCD rise. So for kids who are concerned with smoking, I might have them look at pictures of people smoking, and then I might actually Photoshop an image of them so it looks like they are smoking. I have brought in cigarettes and I've had kids hold them. Now that seems really weird. I totally get that. And I really have to explain to parents what I'm doing because on the surface, parents can be like, what are you doing? You know, I'm sending my kid to therapy and you're like showing him pictures of him smoking and you're making him hold cigarettes. But if you understand how ERP works and the methodology behind it, it makes a lot of sense. And some, some parents worry because they think, well, these are good things. I'm glad that my child is morally against smoking. Why do I want them to habituate to that? And you're missing the whole point because we are trying to tackle the core fear. We want to expose them to these things and then say, you're still a good person. You're holding a cigarette, but you're still a good person. You're looking at a picture of somebody smoking. You're still a good person. So then when they have a thought of someone smoking or them smoking, they've habituated to that thought. And they're like, yeah whatever that doesn't bother me anymore. So tap into whatever their moral OCD theme is and then present them with the opposite. Trying to think of some other ones that will give you an example. Um, I have had kids say mean things to their parent because that goes against their moral OCD. So they'll say, you know, mom, I hate you. You're so ugly. You're the worst mom ever. And that really spikes their moral OCD. And the mom just sits there and listens. Now, the mom knows that we're doing an exposure, so that helps. So I want to move on because there's way too many topics that I want to touch, but that gives you a little flavor of moral OCD. Now, when kids have intrusive thoughts, a lot of times they will try to not have those thoughts. And the more you try to not have those thoughts, the more those thoughts are going to be there. So I have these Chinese handcuffs in my office and I use that as an analogy all the time. So you know what Chinese handcuffs are? You know, those like little um, things that you put on your finger and then you pull out and then they get tighter. But if you pull in and you push towards your fingers, you actually can get them off. So they're kind of counterintuitive. And I use that as an example for kids 
When we try to not have an OCD thought, or we try not to be anxious about something, or we try to get an intrusive thought out of our head, we have it more, right? So you don't want to fight these thoughts. You want to accept them and let them move past you without the anxiety component, without getting the stress. That's the part that we want to tackle. So when somebody has an intrusive thought, like with moral OCD, once they realize this is what it's called, this is what people have, a lot of times that in and of itself helps the stress because they have a thought and they go, yep, this is my OCD. And they're able to kind of just let it ride by. But with intrusive thoughts, people, especially with intrusive images, they don't want to have them. And so they're trying to not think of them. So they'll try to get their mind off of it. But that doesn't always help because there's so much power to this image. So let me give you an example of that. I have had kids where they've seen a cartoon or a movie and the image gets stuck in their head. So I had, um, let me try to think of an example. I had somebody in my office recently and they were having the image of the Grinch. This was a younger child and they had the image of the Grinch in their head and they were having these intrusive thoughts of just seeing the Grinch and it was very upsetting and it kind of, it kind of morphed into something else, but I won't go down that road. The Grinch in and of itself was upsetting. And so they were having sleep time issues because they would have these intrusive thoughts of this just scary Grinch face from the movie. So we started off with cartoon images of the Grinch and I would show her the images. Then we moved to the realistic images and I had her stare at the images of the, of Jim Carrey, you know, the Grinch from the movie. And then we moved on to video and we watched it animated And then there were certain songs that were also triggering. And so we we played those songs. Now I did all that in one session and the child handled that really, really well. A lot of times with intrusive images, I can move pretty fast and do it almost in one session, depending on the child's willingness to move forward. And then more often than not, that's pretty much the end of it. They they're okay. They've acclimated to the image and they can move on. So that is one way to deal with intrusive images and intrusive thoughts. Now let's turn to anxiety for a minute. Let's talk about a kid who is afraid to be alone in a room by themselves. So you would kind of tweak exposures. And we talked about this. Did I talk about this episode or last episode? I don't know. They're, they're all getting smushed together because I'm recording them all at once. But, um, when I talked about challenge boxes and when I think I talked about this last episode, I would have my kids run upstairs and they can earn a prize if they faced their fears and took a challenge. So you want to use that language all the time. Even this morning, I was trying, trying to think how this came about. I was driving my kids to school and my daughter was saying something about having to go get something, but she was scared because it was dark. And then my son, who's eight, piped in and was like, you need to face your fears. And it's just language that we are constantly using. Or yesterday something happened and I said, I can't remember what, I can't remember what I did. I did something and I said something like, I don't care what people think anyway, so it doesn't bother me. And my son who was sitting in the back back of our van said, that's great, mom. I'm so proud of you (laughs) because he knows that I'm working on my social anxiety and I'm not caring about what people think. And he's working on it too. And so he reminds me sometimes and I remind him sometimes. So 
you with anxiety, you really want it to be a family affair where you guys are always constantly talking about how to face your fears. So exposure ERP looks a little bit different with anxiety some of the time. Now with the poking, when I talked about the poking last episode, that was very systematic and very much like we're talking about with OCD, but with regular fears, like going upstairs or being in a room by themselves, it's a little bit more casual and not like your classic ERP. So you can do a challenge and you can say, could you stay in, in your bedroom or the playroom or whatever without me here for five minutes? I'm going to set the, the clock. And if you can stay there for five minutes without coming out or calling for me, then you earn a prize. Then you do it for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So you're building up their tolerance of being able to stay in a room without you. Now, as a baby step, you could do walkie talkies and maybe they get three check-ins and that would be kind of like an exposure. I have kids who are afraid to be out in their backyard by themselves. We'll do the same type of gradual exposure where, you know, maybe they're out there for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Now, the difference with anxiety and OCD is I will do a lot of cognitive reframing before I have them do an exposure. So prior to having them stay in a room by themselves or prior to having them stay out in the backyard, we will have gone over green thoughts and red thoughts and what their green thoughts will be when they're in that moment and how to change the channel once they've already fought their green thoughts. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is all language I use in my How to Crush Anxiety course, which is a course for parents to teach you how to teach your kids to crush anxiety. So that's the kind of language I use in that class. Now for OCD, on my online class for OCD, I don't really talk about that as much because that's not as important in OCD uh, to crush their irrational thoughts because they already know it's irrational. And we will do safety scripts. And we talked about that in episode 52 as a really effective tool for OCD, especially to do a safety script where they acknowledge that they don't have control and they, they have to live with uncertainty and doubt about whatever OCD theme they have. And so you can use that prior to doing ERP for kids with OCD. Now, moving back to OCD, so I'm trying to give anxiety and OCD equal amount of time in this podcast so that if you only have a child with anxiety, you're hearing some good things throughout. And if you have a child with OCD, you're hearing some good things throughout. So that's why I'm bouncing back and forth. But let's talk about symmetry OCD. So symmetry OCD is when you want things even on both sides of your body, or if you touch a cup with one hand, you have to touch it with the other. It's all about balance and balance in your environment, balance on your body. So easy exposures are to make things imbalanced. So maybe one shoe is tighter than the other, or one ponytail is higher than the other. Or if I hit my left elbow, I'm not going to hit my right elbow. And so I will purposely hit my left elbow and have to live with the uncomfort of not balancing it out. So you would do exposures like that. Now, if your child has a number compulsion, and that could be under many different themes, magical thinking, if I do this three times, nothing bad will happen. You would want your child to do things in a different number of times. So if three is my magic number, then I'm going to purposely do things four times. Uh, If even numbers are my magical thing, then I'm going to do things in an odd amount of times. So again, you're reverse engineering, whatever that compulsion is going to be. Let's say your child has social anxiety. 
And then you want to do exposures for social anxiety. So that also would depend on where your child is at and to what level. So I am in the middle of doing a social anxiety online class that will be directly for kids and actually for adults because I love social anxiety because it's something I have. So super passionate about talking about social anxiety. So you're going to hear a lot more about that once my class is done. But some exposures would depend on where your child is at with their social anxiety. Some kids I work with can't even talk to any strangers. So I start with having them order their own food at restaurants, or I have them go and ask a question to a clerk or a cashier where something is located, or I have them purposely go and ask somebody to borrow a pencil or to compliment somebody on what they're wearing. It really depends on their social anxiety theme, what their core fear is, and where they are in the social anxiety hierarchy. Because like I, if we talk about me for a minute, have worked through my social anxiety hierarchy where I'm now at the point where I'm pretty much great except for having to start new conversations in a large group of people who I don't know. So it's very specific. And that is my, that's my last kind of anxiety around social anxiety is if you plop me into a big group of people and I don't know anybody like a party or a conference, and I don't know anybody, uh, my social anxiety is still going to kick in pretty hard and heavy because that's my last step, but I can go out and eat by myself. I can go to a movie by myself. I can talk to a stranger. No problem. I can even sit by myself in a group of people as long as there's no expectation for me to socialize. (laughs) So there's still some work to be done there, but, and I could probably present, which is huge actually, because, um, that used to be a big deal. And I think I'd probably be okay with that now. So find out where your child's social anxiety is. Obviously those are all adult themes (laughs) because they're mine, but, and then you start with little baby steps to get them comfortable. There's also just right OCD. And with just right OCD, your child is going to want everything just right. And so that can impact their world in many different ways. Some kids don't know when to stop brushing their teeth. They don't know when to stop wiping. They don't know when to stop doing things. And some kids need to erase their their letters when they're writing words and rewrite them, rewrite them, rewrite them until it feels just right. So with kids like that, some exposures would be for them to purposely write their letters over the lines, um, to skip paragraphs and maybe not know exactly what the book is talking about or to do their homework and miss some questions on purpose or to brush their teeth and maybe brush their teeth for a very short period of time or to limit the amount of wiping to, to go against the just right feeling. So it's going to definitely not feel just right because you're purposely doing the opposite. And that will really look different depending on your kids' just right themes. So it's kind of hard to give too many examples because it's going to depend on what's going on with your child. But you want to get them into the zone of feeling not so just right and letting them acclimate to that. Now, if it's a sensory issue and you're misdiagnosing it, uh, or it's a perfectionism issue and you're thinking it's a just right issue, the exposure really won't work because with sensory issues, they don't really ever acclimate to it. So if I'm feeling this tag and the tag in the back of my shirt is really bothering me, it's going to still bother me five hours from now. It's not going to go away, but if it's a just right thing and it just doesn't feel right and it's too tight and it's too loose, but it's not a sensory issue, 
then I will eventually acclimate to it. I think I did a podcast on trying to tell the difference. Hold on. Let me see what podcast episode that was. Yeah, it was podcast episode 44, but I was talking about when um, just right OCD is mislabeled as perfectionism or sensory processing. So that still might be an interesting one to listen to if you're struggling with trying to know the difference. And it's hard because sometimes kids have all three, you know, they have sensory issues, they have perfectionism issues, and they have just right OCD. So that makes it really, really tricky. So I just want to go back and go back to intrusive thoughts really quick because we talked about intrusive images. And I also want to mention just intrusive thoughts in general. So exposures for intrusive thoughts would be to purposely trigger the intrusive thought. So you can write imaginal scripts that are all about the intrusive thought. So imaginal scripts are basically just like a little story that you would write that would all be about whatever that intrusive thought is. And maybe you would write it very simply so it didn't have a lot of detail. And then you would expand on it and get much more detailed as the child moves through the exposures. Also, I'll expose people to images um, that trigger the intrusive thought and have them sit with it. And outside of the ERP, I will tell kids sometimes when they're having an intrusive thought to see how long they can hold on to it and not let it go. So kind of like reverse psychology (laughs) for the intrusive thought. So I just wanted to go back to that because I didn't talk about intrusive thoughts. I talked about intrusive images. And if you have a child who's having intrusive thoughts, you're probably like, ah, Natasha, what about intrusive thoughts? So I just wanted to cover that. So that was a lot of information. I know I'm sure I didn't tap into every single theme and issue that is happening with your child. That would virtually be impossible. But I think you hopefully get the gist of how to develop exposures and kind of what they seem like. So you want to tap into your child's compulsions, their anxiety theme, and then reverse engineer them and come up with kind of the opposite. And then you you create small baby steps. So instead of it just being like, whoa, that's too hard. There's no way I can do that. Like I had a girl who had a fear of seeing throw up. And when I first met her, we couldn't talk about throw up. We couldn't even discuss it. And I couldn't say the word. And we found something that she was willing to do. So we would start with just TH words. And so she would start with, you know, throw and we play throw, we play catch and we started very, very tiny. And then eventually we already got up to the point where she can watch videos of somebody actually throwing up, but we went from her not being able to even talk about it. So don't give up, just find where your child is willing to start. And if it's just starting with, saying a TH word that's related to what they're afraid of, that's okay. Start with where they're at. Never ever force exposures and let your child always be in the driver's seat. So I hope that helped. If you're enjoying my podcast and you want to get back to the show, if you can click a star on iTunes and rate the show, that would be much appreciated. If you want to leave a review, that's even better. And I really appreciate that as well. So you can click a star and you don't have to leave a review or underneath the stars, it says leave a review on iTunes. You can click that and leave a review. And I'm sure there's a place to leave a review probably on Google play and Stitcher as well. I'm just not as familiar with those. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And until next Tuesday, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.